This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Fear. It's me, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Oh my god. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> Uh, I apologize to everyone. That was horrendous. Wow. I'm I'm joined as always by Jen Adams. Hi, Jen. Hello. As well as Gina Radcliffe. Hi, Gina. Hello. (laughs) And yes, we are discussing every parent's worst nightmare (laughs) and the reason why girls shouldn't date bad boys, 1996's Fear. But I can fix him, I promise. I'm kidding. I am kidding. (laughs) He just needs to be loved. Oh, yeah. It's not his fault. Let me tell you, high school Jen, I think, had a very different reaction to this movie than grown up now a mom Jen did. (laughs) Well, I feel like that's what's so interesting about watching this movie through a contemporary lens, because I remember this movie coming out in 1996, making a huge splash Mm -hmm. and everybody being like, Wow, Mark Wahlberg is so hot. Reese Witherspoon, what a star. This movie's sexy. And now watching it from like an adult's perspective, this movie has a very weird message. And also, I just don't understand a bunch of things. Like, this movie has question marks all over it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's There's a weird daddy's girl tone to it and a mm-hmm. kind of a feeling of two men fighting over one teenager that feels odd, you know? And and this was such a thing in, particularly in 80s and 90s television, well, not just television and movies, pop culture in general, just the the overprotective dad that, you know, Mm -hmm. what is he protecting here exactly? (laughs) And um, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of weird psychosexual undertones to it. That's like you really. I mean, I was actually an adult already when this came out. Not not very long into adulthood, but you know, I, I knew at the time that Mark Wahlberg was also an adult when he did this movie, despite playing a teenager. I think mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon may have been like nineteen or twenty. She was. She looked very young. Both of them look like babies. It's so it it's it's so mm-hmm. funny to, to see them in this. They're just so like fresh faced and and. <laughs> and and you know delicate looking you know i just want to pat them both of the head sometimes and um <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know at the same time i think i think for me being a little slightly older than the target audience like my alarm bells were going off for both of them both the dad oh, God, and the, yes. and the the, the the boyfriend that you know neither of them are are acting normally in this situation mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, I was 16 when this came out. So I was Reese Witherspoon's age in the movie. And I think I was like, I don't think I knew what to think. You know, I was like, oh, this is what dating is. Because oh, I don't God. think I had, like, I had had boyfriends by that time. But like, I hadn't really, I don't think I'd have had a serious boyfriend. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be weird. And oh, I don't know. And then there's the whole like, Alyssa Milano part mm. of this movie, which is, you know, it was like this. So it's like, this is what a good girl that is worth protecting is. 
And these are the people that are going to be fighting over protecting her. So it's just very strange and mixed messages to be sending about about like the value of virginity and oh, like yeah. what what the man of the house. It's just it's very weird. I still enjoyed watching it very much, mostly because I felt like I was back in high school again. <laughs> but it's aged very peculiarly, you know. Poor Alyssa, man. She just gets she she just gets left out in the cold oh, by man. everyone. She her character is treated Oof. so poorly. I know. Yeah, she is the one in crisis mm-hmm. in this movie. You know, I mean, both of them are, but <laughs> she's the one that needs us. I feel like that's the big takeaway that you don't appreciate when you watch this as a younger person, right? You think mm-hmm. that Alyssa Milano, until she gets locked in the house with them in the climax and they're all being threatened, you think that she's a bad friend. And mm-hmm. watching it as an adult, you're like, oh, God, someone protect that poor girl because she was just sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she even admits it, too. Like, it's not very often that you will hear someone say, like, he forced me, he made me. Like, those are not things we were saying out loud very often in the 90s, you know? And for her to come out and say that and still be rejected by her best friend is just, it breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, that yeah, Reese's character just like, yeah, no, I, I totally believe that you, you know, you slept with my boyfriend. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> imagine like, <laughs> imagine like your closest friend in high school and, and you catch him in a situation like that. And your first, your very first instinct is to blame the friend and, and not think mm-hmm. that, that, that this was, you know, that maybe this isn't exactly how it appears. Mm-hmm. To me, that's so emblematic of YA, though, right? Like, these are teenage girls. In Reese's case, this is what I gathered to be her first maybe ever boyfriend, but definitely first serious boyfriend. So mm-hmm. I fully believe that she would look at this and say, oh, wow, what a schemer. My friend's always been bad. She's always been attracted to trashy bad boys. She gets me into trouble. And this is just so like her. And I mean... Credit to the screenplay, which is written by Christopher Cross, for having that moment where Reese tries to go out after her because I think she regrets what she says to Alyssa Milano's character, but it's already mm-hmm. too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that archetype of the bad girl, you know, or the loose girl. Oh, yes. And it's interesting, like, when Reese does, I'm sorry, Nicole, (laughs) does have sex with uh, Marky Mark. I mean, I have a hard time remembering their actual names. But, like, when she does, she doesn't want to tell Alyssa Milano or Margot. She Mm -hmm. doesn't want her to know. And it's this weird, like, I feel like friends, I don't know, the kind of friend that I would want to be. Like, that's something I would want to tell my friend, especially if I knew she had experience in this area and maybe she could help me kind of under unpack my feelings but it's this very like they they feel like frenemies in a lot of ways like they don't really feel close to each other until the end you know and i feel like that's reflective of a lot of 90s media for for teenage girls yeah. is you know your mm-hmm. friends can't your friends can't be trusted there's there's you know mm-hmm. there's always some sort of plotting and scheming going on behind your backs and and i don't know if it was you know teen soap operas like you know like like 90210 and stuff like that but i feel particularly mm-hmm. like the mid 
to late 90s, a lot of these, you know, you have like, you have like movies like uh, Wild Things, which we covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cruel Intentions. Those were just all, you know, movies about teenage girls acting towards each other in a very adult way where it's all about you know you're just here to steal my man and stuff like that and and <laughs> and i don't know if that's entirely reflective of the actual teenage girl experience no that to me feels like something that hollywood decided would make for more compelling entertainment right like ooh, mm-hmm. let's have the virginal blonde against the brunette vixen and let's mm-hmm. cause some drama by reinforcing that girls can't trust each other yeah, I mean, it's Betty and Veronica, you oh know? Oh my god, it it's, is, yeah. It's these archetypes, and and I feel like that, a lot of that, you know, not to mention the patriarchy, but that is <laughs> the, the way that the patriarchy maintains power is by pitting women against each other, you know, or people that have less power in that system, keeping them, keeping us at each other's throats and saying, I can't trust you, you know? And when I look at Margot, she is so over the top. Like, I have two kind of warring thoughts about Margot in my mind. And the first one is like, this is not a real character. Like this is, she is so sex. She's so oversexed. She's so over the top. Like this feels like not quite a manic pixie dream girl, but like this kind of man's idea of what a vixen is. Mm. But the other half of me is like, she is screaming that she has been abused. And this is a, trauma response to some really dark things in her past and it just it breaks your heart that nobody seems to see it you know and they're like oh that's just Margot," you know i i do think jen that that you're probably giving the screenwriter a little too much credit (laughs) i think so yeah (laughs) yeah i i could definitely see in reality and even in how teenage girls are portrayed now i i think of shows i've never seen it but i think a show like euphoria where you know these characters sort of act out in a very again you know adult manner but they're all you know just very broken people from from terrible home lives and all i don't think do we even see anything in margot's home life i don't i don't think that we do we see her mom mom. but her Mm -hmm. mom is obviously a very hands-off parent because she leaves the girls to go away to like fuck some rich dude who's gonna buy her a mercedes right 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 that's right but uh, i i think that you know your first uh suggestion that this is a this is an idealized it's basically you know let's face it masturbation fodder for adult men that that you know yeah, you have, you have mm-hmm. this you know overtly sexual teenage girl that it, it makes it okay to to chase after her because she wants it and she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm criticizing the screenwriter too much. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I feel like that's probably what the intent was, and I don't necessarily think there's malice in it. I think it's just it's just essentialist. It's just oversimplified. In the same way that Nicole is an innocent good girl. Like, she literally has a bracelet that says Daddy's Girl, you know? <laughs> and I feel like somewhere in these two characters, there are real people there that I recognize. But it's very... It, Joe, I think you're... Like, it does feel like YA. It mm-hmm. feels, like, oversimplified so that it's digestible for a younger audience. And, and to be clear, there's a lot of really good YA that doesn't right, do right. this kind of stuff. Although I will mm-hmm. say in the 90s, this is mm-hmm. quite emblematic. Like this was the era where we were doing a lot of sick lit and also a lot of like histrionic. This is a book about a girl who got an abortion. 
Mm-hmm. Or in this case, this is a book about a girl who dated the wrong boy. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about William Peterson's dad? Because I I was thinking, Jen, as you were talking about how the film portrays Margot's sexuality and makes it seem as though she's just available, but also she's really just eye candy fuckery for the audience. Mm -hmm. There's that moment where she comes over and William Peterson's uh, Steve, he's in his office and he's got this kind of camaraderie where he clearly knows Margot. He's seen her around the house a million times and he is I fucking that short skirt and looking for a glimpse of her panties, and it is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's drawing. He's drawing that line. You know, this is other people's daughters. It's his daughter that's you know virtuous and and you know needs to be kept on a shelf like a little doll. Hmm. Yeah, but if someone else's daughter is quote-unquote, parading in front of him, then it's okay for him to look. It's not his his problem. Exactly. (laughs) It's some other dad's problem. Yeah. And it's not, like, it's not subtle. He could easily turn away, you know. I feel like it's, it's this one scene, and it does make me very uncomfortable. And I think it's part and parcel of a lot of things about him that make me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I have you know, fallen victim to seeing an attractive person and, you know, maybe lingering a little too long. Sure. So it's a human response. But on the other hand, this is just a a very, very uncomfortable scene. He clearly knows this is not okay. And if his wife were to walk into the room, what would she think? And this is also coming on the heels of him, like, having a moment when she is kind of flirting with David, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's there's so much sexual politics going on in this house that it's just it's a lot i think i just find steve such a confusing character because i can totally buy him as this overprotective father but then we're also like it's made very very clear that he is divorced and laura is his second wife like nicole is from his previous marriage and this is the second marriage and that is like confirmed very early as though it's an important thing like theirs Mm -hmm. is a secondary kind of made family they're not organic they don't have those relationships and i think it works well when we get into how laura reacts to nicole and steve's parenting style Mm -hmm. But then there's also this like big dick contest with David where you could see it as an extension of him wanting to protect his daughter, but also it feels like a machismo thing. Like our introduction to Steve is him running through the woods like he's trying to stay fit. He's really trying to stay attractive. And Mm -hmm. I just find him this confounding character where it feels like he's kind of two or three different things crammed together into a single person. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I assume that he's also probably going through some sort of massive middle age crisis. <laughs> With that car, yes. Uh. <laughs> you know, Mother Nature has made it so a lot of people, because of when they have children, they're going through their midlife crisis at precisely the same time that their 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 children are blossoming into teenagers, and and right. you know, there's 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 certainly a a, a weird vibe there. You know, I, I'm sure that I'm sure that in a way that David reminds Steve of himself at a certain age. They're, they're both, you know, attractive mm-hmm. long kids. 
you know, who probably never had any trouble getting girls. And so, yeah, I, I, you mm-hmm. know, of course he's going to, of course he's going to be confused. Yeah. But like, also, does he want to fuck his daughter? Like, that's the question I was asking myself <laughs> repeatedly. I don't think he wants to fuck his daughter. Uh, I think he wants to fuck teenagers in general, not necessarily his daughter, though. Okay. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why, well, I mean, you know, God willing, there are, you know, there are men who are able to delineate. I mean, we shouldn't fuck teenagers anyway, but, but you know. They can distinguish between what's an appropriate love interest. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I don't think he can, and, and I get this as being a parent, it's very hard to think of your child even when they're adults as being a sexual person like even if you even right. if you know that 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 logically they're, okay they're having sex you know it doesn't even have to be that they're mm-hmm. married or that they have a child it's because they've been dating the same person for like months and months and months and they're like 16 17 whatever yeah they're probably having sex and you know yeah mm-hmm. it is it is an, i do think it's an age thing for him because you know it has to occur to you at some point i am old enough to have a sexually active child what does this right. mean for me? It's a it's a very self centered point of view, and and I I get that. I don't think the way he's acting is appropriate, obviously. But but yeah. I, I get I get that feeling from you know having been the parent of a teenager, and and try to to you know accept you know what that entails. Yeah, like I don't know if I I quite think he wants to fuck his daughter, but I feel like he has he views her fuckability as his possession and Mm. that that is something in his family chest you know that that's something that is his to give away if he chooses to and david is trying to take it like it's it almost feels like there's this male version of the hand that rocks the cradle kind of thing going on Ooh, yeah and i mean i feel like this is a little more sinister on his side than that. That feels slightly different. I don't know if that's a completely fair comparison, but like, I don't, I just have a lot of feelings about fathers who like call themselves like girl dads or like I'm, I'm a dad who's good with daughters, you know, it's like, <laughs> because, and I mean, there, there's a lot that's great about that, but that so easily can turn into you seeing your child as a daughter before she's a person right you know and that's what i think is happening here and the line like when david leaves that note now i've popped both your cherries <laughs> like i feel like that is so telling because he knows exactly what's going to get to um dad's heart right there. it's like i took something that belongs to you well, Jen, you mentioned earlier that this film has an obsession with virginity. And I do think that mm-hmm. that's one of the other things that does make me a little uncomfortable about it, particularly in the depiction between Nicole and Margot, right? Like, mm-hmm. Margot is a loose cannon because she's already sexually active and therefore she is sexually available to all men's eyes, right? Like, we see yep. it in Steve, we see it in this super grosso dude that she is hooking up with at this club and then david also treats her like a like a possession that he can literally throw over his shoulder and sexually assault Mm -hmm. but then we also see it with steve where it's like like the reason that nicole is so valuable the reason that david falls in love with her and becomes this homicidal maniac is because of her virginity like it's this amazing apologies for being crass but it feels like 
the amazing pussy power of virginity. Like it'll Mm -hmm. fuck men up to the point where they will kill your dog and do a home invasion. (laughs) Totally. Mm -hmm. And it's personified by this young, blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl who just could not be any more virginal in quotation marks, you know? That's a big part of incel culture is is the mm-hmm. you know, high value placed on on virgins, you know, and obviously a lot of that comes from insecurity because if you're you know if you you have sex with a woman who's already been sexually active, you know, she might notice that you don't know what you're doing, you know, <laughs> or right. Or, <laughs> more li- likely, it's because you feel like you know you, you bought into the idea that that. You know, every girl's first time is so important. It's such a monumental so special. You know, event, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're basically like going to imprint on her. She she you know she's never going to forget <laughs> you. And it's like you know, I mean, yeah, you aren't going to forget. You usually don't forget your your first time, but usually it's because it's just so it's like fucking you know, shit. Yeah, right. it's like it's like yeah, that's when it was at its worst for me. You know, I mean, it got better from there. Right. You, you know, no, nobody's first time is 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 wonderful. It's you know, brief and clumsy. Right. You remember your first time, and then you remember your first good time. Mm. Right. Exactly. And they're they're not usually with the same person. Yeah, lots of times they're not. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's that that line where she's like, and then you don't remember your second and your third and your fourth. And there's just, that is like the film throwing her away, you know? And it's like, she is not, she is not a girl worth protecting. Yeah, because she's already on to her fourth and fifth and tenth or whatever time. Exactly. So, and I do remember in high school, I feel like, especially around that age, there is such a dividing line between girls Uh you know who have had sex before and girls who haven't and I remember like crossing over that line and talking to somebody who I knew had and there was like this kind of like unspoken bond even though we weren't really good friends like we were both like we're on the other side of that line now and it just you know it, it does kind of delineate eras of your life but I feel like because of films like this and because of narratives like this we're conditioned to see people on either side as the enemy, and it shouldn't be that way. Well, let's talk about the iconic sex scene from this film, because mm-hmm. when I posted that I was watching this, the reactions I got were either dead dog or <laughs> roller coaster emoji sploosh emoji. I saw that one. That was, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that emoji. <laughs> And I I think it's really interesting, if only because, I mean, we haven't really said, so this film is directed by James Foley. It's interesting. He's got a very wild filmography. He's the director of films like Glengarry Glen Ross, but also the Fifty Shades uh, sequels. Mm. I, Mm. I think that the roller coaster sequence is really visually interesting because Again, nothing about this movie is subtle. So this is very clearly like when the roller coaster reaches its apex, we have a climax. And it's like, yes, movie, we all get it. Uh-huh. Like the only thing that could have been more visually on the nose, but also very thematically appropriate for teen girls to whom this film is catering to as an audience. I'm surprised that we just don't even have fireworks in the background. <laughs> yep. That's the only thing that would make it better. It's like a train going through a tunnel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this feels like magic. Like, there's a sexiness to this that is undeniable. 
Reese mm-hmm. is clearly sorry, Reese. Oh my god, Nicole <laughs> is clearly very much enjoying herself. It does infer female pleasure is first and foremost the goal and Mm -hmm. it's like oh it's magical like this is what sex between the right people can be like and it's only really when dad gets involved that things start to go to shit yeah and it's consensual too like she's guiding him you Mm. know and it's i did notice that her hand is very much like go here this is what i'm looking for Exactly. And like part of me was watching that and I was like, I don't remember that if you take this scene in a bubble, it feels very sex positive. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're taking it out of the context of the rest of the movie. And I was like, I'm going to ride a roller coaster. Like it's a really sweet scene. Mm -hmm. And, And that's not something we were seeing in the 90s either. You know, it feels ahead of its time in a lot of ways. I think the I think the effect of that that scene you know, also you know, pays a heavy debt to the song that's used during it. Oh <laughs> my god! Yes. <laughs> yeah, man, this film soundtrack mm. is just a plus. Like it repeats songs a couple of times, but man, I, this was like the soundtrack of my sophomore and junior year of high school. It's like, oh, <laughs> that that uh, Bush song. Oh my god! This this soundtrack brought to you by Bush. Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm just leaving emojis all over the place now. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. That's the yeah. subtitle for this episode now. <laughs> <sighs> um, what do we make of Amy Brenneman's Laura? I did not remember the slut comment. Mm. Yeah, you were saying that the Woody was saying that there's there's a whole lot of weird sexual politics happening mm-hmm. in in this household, and 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 a whole lot of you know egos and and people competing with each other in a in a you know in a in a way in a kind of sinister way, and you know, so now you know, yeah you've got now you've got the stepmother coming in you know and competing with the teenage daughter for the the affections of the man of the house where your first thought is to kind of like kind of like you know why, why would you allow yourself to be in that situation why are you competing with a teenager you know for, for someone's attention and then you know you're reading up advice columns and like dear prudence and stuff like that and this is you know there's a weird dynamic that that happens with step parents and stepchildren the the parent that sort of you know is in the middle of it mm-hmm I'll confess, Gina, I I never read it as competition, but I do think that there's definitely an element there, at least when it comes to Steve. I think there's also an, an interesting dynamic in terms of they very obviously have different parenting styles. And I think mm-hmm. that's also where some of that competitiveness comes from. Like, Laura doesn't like that Nicole is taking up so much of Steve's valuable time and attention, but also I think she thinks that she's just a better parent and that her way is right, which I've learned is something you should never tell a parent. You should never tell anyone how to parent their own kid. And it's very clear that Steve considers Nicole his child, and he he wants to be a dad to Laura's kid, but he like, he doesn't feel comfortable letting Laura be a parent to Nicole. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think, I wonder if that plays into this whole history of the divorce mm-hmm. thing. And it's and we see this family once they're already established, and it feels like they've been married for a couple of years mm-hmm. at least. And so it doesn't feel as, like, I just wonder what the beginning of this blended family was. And it's interesting, we do not see Steve really interact with Toby that much. He's he is an awesome kid, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But yeah, it's... I feel like in the middle of of Laura and Steve, there is a really great parent there because there's a turn. The slut comment sucks, and I had forgotten about that too. But then as the movie goes on, and I feel like Nicole starts to trust Laura a little bit, I start to really like their interactions with each other. I just wish that she was taking the situation a little more seriously. And it's frustrating because Steve is acting like a weirdo but he's also right you know well that's what i find so confusing because i actually think that laura is a pretty decent parent like the slut comment Mm -hmm. is really a huge strike against her but it only comes when nicole shows up two hours late for curfew and laura is Mm -hmm. worried sick and then yeah she definitely has a better sense of how to handle the initial breakup when nicole is grieving and david is like oh you fucked him i found a condom and she's just like jesus christ what are you doing you need to let nicole go like you're just gonna drive her back to him or whatever mm-hmm. it's uh, it's interesting in that way and i think you know part of this is also i have a lot more goodwill for amy brenneman now than back when i first saw this and didn't know who the fuck she was whereas now i'm like oh my god iconic actress amy brenneman from (laughs) judging amy and the leftovers right and fraser that's what i think (laughs) she's such a soothing uh presence yeah She feels like the glue that is holding this whole family together. Mm -hmm. The black eye thing. Yeah, that's a great moment. It it is a great moment. And I think it's hard for uh, for me to remember that she really doesn't know what has happened with David. As far as she knows, he's a perfectly nice guy. And so that could have been what happened. And she does tell Steve, too. She's like... She got a black eye. Well, I I think because that's what Nicole told her, and she wants to believe Nicole. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if she were her biological mother, Mm. I wonder how that would play out differently, you know? Yeah. So, Jen, you mentioned Toby, and I Uh messaged you both in the group chat that I I was surprised that Toby was basically the most capable uh, person in this entire film. Like, really, (laughs) he gets them out of all of the trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he never would have dated David. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's one of the most capable kids I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like, I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to go out and find that cop and get the handcuff keys, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would be scrambling around. I, like, he's just great, you know? He gets shot at and runs the guy over and then calls 911. Exactly. Yeah, the moment when he gets shot, like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this kid's a final girl. <laughs> exactly. They're shooting a child? They're shooting oh. a child. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's heavily inferred that everyone except David, and maybe even David, is like high on PCP or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this home invasion goes some places. It's way more hardcore than I remembered. 
I don't know how I forgot that there were like other people involved mm-hmm. with him in this. Like, like you know, I saw this movie back in like I don't know, ninety seven, ninety eight, and I, I just remember him, you know, crashing through the door and like screaming mm-hmm. and yelling and you know and threatening the dad. But I don't remember this like turning to some sort of like hills hills have eyes situation. <laughs> right, like, this is some straw dog nonsense. Right. <laughs> like the cast of train spotting is invading this house he, he like has a gang together to like you know you help me murder my girlfriend's family right and i love how grimy they all are and how super hot and preppy and put together he is like he totally stands out in this group like yeah. where do you find these people <laughs> i know costuming makes no sense at all like he he would not have a relationship with these people except for the film telling us Oh, he's a foster kid. Yeah. You're like, that doesn't explain anything. No, not at all. And I shout out to Amy Brenneman for saying, not his fault, by the way. Uh-huh. Like that it doesn't excuse anything he does, but it's also like he's in need of some help himself. But it reminds me of that scene, you know, at the end of Urban Legend, when not to spoil this movie, so if you want if you don't want to Jen, spoil, it's more than twenty five years old. <laughs> It's also one of the greatest movies ever. But you know how when at the end she's telling the story to a new group and there's like one it, it's almost like she's telling them to the Spice Girls like mm-hmm. there's there's a different like kind of stereotype of teenager. Yes. And that's what this group feels like. It's like there's the kind of twitchy blonde-haired dyed-haired guy mm-hmm. and then there's the long curly-haired greasy guy and yeah. <laughs> It is wild. It makes no sense at all. And then in the middle, you've got literal former underwear male model, Marky Mark. Ooh, yeah. Are we going to talk about him? Because I have some thoughts. (laughs) I mean, okay, Jen, we're going to put your thirsting for bad boys to the side for a moment. (laughs) Gina, what do you think about Marky Mark? (laughs) You know what? I mean... Like I said, I was a little older than the target audience, so, you know, I kind of thought of him as the rapping dork. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, this this was, I think this was, like, his second movie, because he had done The Basketball Diaries. He had a supporting party. Oh, right. That's a better fit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, this, uh, this is a year before he did Boogie Nights, if you can believe that. Um, Hmm. And... Yeah, you know, that I think Boogie Nights is the point where I was like, okay, he actually is a pretty good actor, and of course that ended up being you know one of his only really good performances, <laughs> just pl- playing like like a dumb you know guy who's who's you know his primary acid is that he has a huge penis, you know. <laughs> here it's like, and not to get dark, but in real life he already had built a reputation for being a bully because you know, yeah, right, he got arrested committing a hate crime. And, you know, he was known for being kind of a combative asshole, you know, in in real life. But there's still something about him that just feels like he's just playing at being a bad boy. And and I think it's because maybe, like, you know, they made him, like, a preppy bad boy, Mm -hmm. which I guess is supposed to be shocking when, like, this clean-cut guy who has, you know, good manners and, and, you know, knows how to charm the girlfriend's family and all, turns out to be this monster... And it's like, mm, that's kind of how most of them, you know, really uh-huh. manage to mm-hmm. insinuate themselves into people's lives. I mean, if he, you know, came into the movie throwing throwing fists and, and you know, kicking homeless people at all, you know, it wouldn't, you know, the, the shocking turn 
that, you know, he's actually a violent abuser would be less shocking, except it isn't very shocking. Yeah. You understand how these situations work. And and again, I, I it's unfortunate because I think the target teenage girl audience had not been, most of them had not been exposed to situations like this yet. And then unfortunately, mm. when you, when you reach adulthood, you know, you either end up in a situation or you know someone who has, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly how it's like. This isn't surprising at all. Yeah. They clean up real good. They know how to talk to parents. They know how to put on the show. And it's the Logans that you're looking out for. You know, you're like, that guy's bad news. Right. And then <laughs> uh, the Davids sneak in, you know, and I think, I love him in this role. I agree. He, it, I feel weird liking him. Oh, I think he's really good in this role at what he does, yeah. but that is also uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. is so I know. <laughs> and I was like, why am I so attracted to him? Oh, I hate myself. I also think he is the lesser Wahlberg, just for the record, because Donnie was my number one new kids on the block crush. But he, like, in this role, he finds that really great line between menacing and sweet. Right. And, like, in that club scene where they first meet, like, he's just looking at her and... It's such a cute meet-cute. It is, but then there are these little hints of, like, oh, he's a shark, you know? And I could just see myself being a young girl and not picking up on any of that at all. And now, as a grown-up who's starting to think about my own daughter dating, I'm like, you got <laughs> to learn how to pick up the signs. But you're right, Gina, you learn how to look out for guys like David by knowing guys like David or dating them, you know? And so in that way, I think this movie, he feels very real, you know? Right. But I think it was supposed to be shocking that, that, you know, right. that he just turned out to be like this. And then <laughs> at a certain point, it's like, no, this is like, it's exactly how these kind of people turn out. <laughs> yeah. And not just by virtue of knowing the trailer and the premise of the film, but like right. the signs are all there right from the beginning, right? Like sociopaths don't, as you said, Gina, they don't just walk in and announce themselves and kick a homeless person. Mm -hmm. Right. One interesting thing that I did want to remark on, and then we should start to think about any other final points we want to make, but... On the Wikipedia page for this film, producer Brian Grazer described this as fatal attraction for teens. Mm. One of the things that I find interesting about that comment is that there's been a reappraisal of Glenn Close's Alex over the years mm -hmm. to see her as the actual victim of that film. I don't get that kind of impression. Like, there wouldn't be another reading of this film where we would rescue David, even though he does have that sort of tragic-y backstory oh no 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 because she doesn't she doesn't lead him on in any way whereas right. whereas you know and we actually covered this on kill by kill and, and i basically went into a rant about how <laughs> you know for all intents and purposes he's pretending they're a couple and right. and while it's not it's not right what she does it's also not right for him to give her the wrong idea of of you know, what the nature of their relationship was. And mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to say he deserves what happens to him, but he kind of deserves what happens to him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's Michael Douglas in a neurotic thriller. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have not seen Fatal Attraction in a long, long time, and I'm really due for a rewatch. But it, like, I actually see more connections with the reappraisal of Fatal Attraction. Oh, for sure. Than the intended comment. Because, yeah, I don't... Other than just, like, dating the wrong person and it turns out badly for you. But I feel like that's vastly oversimplifying what is happening in this story, you know? 
That feels like an elevator pitch to get funding. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like yeah, slap it on the poster. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, okay. Any other sort of things that you wanted to talk about? I wanted to give a very quick shout out to poor Gary, Todd mm, Caldecott. Yes. He's the best friend. He clearly has a crush on Nicole. And he just ends up brutally murdered in the woods for giving her a hug? Yeah, that is, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. R.I.P. Gary. You were a real I love fun. the moment when he stands up for her in the cafeteria, though. Like, that's what you want your friends to do. And you can tell he's afraid, but he still does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to my uh, Nashville girl, Reese Witherspoon, because... I love her <laughs> and I've had a real journey with her from not liking her for a long time Uh-oh. for a lot of the reasons we talked about with um, Margot and Nicole, like we, we're just conditioned to be pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. And she's from Nashville. She's a couple years older than me. We actually dated the same guy, what? although it didn't overlap. I know it was, it was years later, but like, so I didn't like her for a long time. I was like, that she stole my man and it's like completely nothing but like that is that's what women are conditioned to do with each other you know and it wasn't until about big little lies time that i was like oh i really like her mm-hmm. and so she's hometown hero you know she's one of my favorites I say, uh, say, Jen, did you did you date Brian Phillippe? <laughs> no, but that has been an ongoing rumor that that was the guy that we dated in common. No, it was a guy is a non-famous person who um, both of us are better off without. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But I do think she's great in this movie for oh, a role yeah. that could be really oversimplified. And some of her dialogue, I'm like, oh, that's a little after school special for mm-hmm. me. I think she... She delivers it well, you know. Yes. Yeah. It feels like she really understands how naive to make the character in a way that isn't cloying. Yeah. And she's not stupid naive. Mm -hmm. She's a little like, girl, you need to get your heart broken a couple more times and you're not going to fall for all this bullshit. Yep. Yeah, I I would say my, my, you know, my final thoughts would be is, you know, this is a good, if, you know, Somewhat melodramatic, but of course, that's the nature of these kinds of movies. They're always always a little melodramatic. I do think it's a good introduction to, you know, teenage girls to, you know, what what to look out for. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's sort of that, that if it seems too good to be true, it probably, you know, probably isn't. Uh, no, that's you know that's probably and also you know, don't date twenty four year olds when you're six, right? <laughs> no matter don't. how hot they are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking from personal experience, just don't do it. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a yeah they have a they have a car, but big deal. Who cares? You know, I mean. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, I'm actually thinking maybe in a couple of years I might watch this with my daughter and just kind of talk through it with her. Ooh, because I do think call. it's a it's a good introduction to I, I don't think it could stand alone as an object lesson, Mm-mm. but I feel like it's a good introduction to some really difficult subjects. So yeah, I think I'm gonna do that. Nice. Okay. Well, before we discuss where we're headed next, uh, Gina, if people want to talk about unfortunately killing dogs and tossing their heads mm. through the doggy door, how would they get a hold <laughs> oh, of you? Uh, uh, I am uh, co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies 
according to the characters, uh, some of our upcoming episodes. Uh, we have one uh, that should be out by the time this goes live on the menu. Ooh. Doing an episode on uh, Alien 3, and then a special Valentine's Day episode on Bones and All, which is one of my favorite movies of 2022. Oh, and uh, I also have a Substack, GinaWatchesThings.Substack.com. Uh, I write for I write about movies and television at Spool.net. And if you want to reach out on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram under Gina Does Things. Okay, Jesus, Gina, we get it. You're busy. <laughs> 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 and Jen, if people wanted to talk to you about roller coaster climaxes, how would they get in touch? <laughs> yes, yes. And bonus points if you do a pin tattoo on your chest that says God. someone's name for Eva. That was my friend's running joke with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me at Jim Ferratu on um, just whatever socials I happen to be using, but it will be Jim Ferratu. You can find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast. We just did our episode on the Colorado Kid, which went really well. And I'm taking a little bit of a break from psychoanalysis, but Mike is uh, holding down the fort with some really exciting episodes. So check us out there. And then also writing and stuff. So if you follow me, I'll just post everything. There we go. Yeah. And I'm one of the people who got to fill in in your absence. That's and, right. Uh, uh, my episode on Eden Lake should be out. And I, I pitched it as discomfort horror. And then I don't know why I did that to myself. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I remember you pitched that a while ago. Yeah. Um, I don't a, recommend that movie. movie, but maybe the episode's good. Yeah. <laughs> I could be reached at B, still my remote, and that's the letter B. And thank you to the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad Network, as always, for hosting the show. Be sure to check out all of the other fun things. going to give myself a plug. Uh, Sheree Bohannon and I are going to start a You on Netflix podcast starting up in anticipation of season four. So keep an eye out on that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, ladies, this is not the end of White Ladies in Crisis, although we are going to shift the focus ever so slightly to more white men in crisis. <laughs> We're flipping the switch. It's going to be a female obsessive stalker. We're going to travel back in time to 1993 and talk about Alicia Silverstone in The Crush. And Carrie Yeah, hot Carrie And <laughs> oh, if I yes. remember correctly, this has one of our favorite features, which is some kind of carnival element, but it's a literal carousel in an attic. That's right. <laughs> even better. Of course. Because, <laughs> you know, that makes sense. I feel like these are really great companion movies for each mm -hmm. other, you know, so I'm really excited to, to dive back into it. And I also haven't seen it in probably 15 years. Yeah, same. Okay, well, until The Crush, which will, yes, also be part of the ongoing series that we're doing in time for Valentine's Day called Love Hurts, uh, I would say don't give out the security code to your new boyfriend just so he can come in and fuck you in the middle of the night. Totally. Don't do it. Yeah, rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. The Anatomy of 
Scream Pod Squad.